All right, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we pray specifically right now for this word, and we ask that you lead us and guide us as we study it, and we ask that you open our hearts and minds to receive it. And Father, you have heard the requests that have been brought before you this morning, and we ask that you work and move in those situations as well, as while you work and move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 15. Let's read it. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 28. And this is where we'll spend most of our time this morning, is in Matthew 28. Beginning in verse 18, these are the last few verses of the book of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. So we have been looking at these passages for the last few weeks because they go hand in hand. They're together. Even though they're apart, they are together. So two weeks ago, we left off with chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, um, you're Peter and on this rock. And I told you that there are four components to that, that verse, that sentence. The number one, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, just as a means of catching everyone up, if you remember Back that far, two weeks ago, we looked at that third one, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus, and he is the one who is, who is building it. But then, what is amazing and miraculous about it, and he even foreshadows it when, in verse 19 of, of chapter 16, when he says, I'm going to give you the kingdom uh, the keys to the kingdom of heaven is that in ver uh, chapter 28, Jesus, when he gives his final instructions to the disciples, he tells us to go and do what only he can do. In 28 verse 19, he says, you go and make disciples. Essentially, Jesus says, I will build my church, now you go and do it. Now you go and you build it. Now last week, uh, like we said, we had a, a week off. Uh, because of uh, COVID restrictions, so uh, we had to go online, and I did a little Facebook Live uh, message, and I can tell because of, you know, you know internet and technology, uh, on the back end, that only about seven of you watch it, you know, I can, I can tell those things, and I'm not saying that to knock anybody, that's just the way the internets work, and that's, you know, people just don't do, some people just don't do online, and especially online church. Now, Young people are moving that way, and, and there's a lot of debate about, especially with COVID and the way that this stuff's moving and online church and, you know, how some of that translate. You, know, you can go online, you can get messages all day long from the world's greatest preachers, and you can get uh, worship music all day long from the world's greatest 
worship teams, but I don't know how, how community translates online. I don't know how the corporate worship translates to online. I'm not, I don't know how we do that. And so, I mean, it's difficult to translate church to an online venue. So I'm just, I mean, I get it, you know. I mean, and even when we were doing this, when we had to lock down back in March and April, and we weren't having services for two months, and I was putting these big, long, you know, 30, 40-minute sermons together, and these videos up line, I could see that people were watching about five minutes of them. That's just how it goes, because there's a million other distractions at home. Here, you're a captive audience. <laughs> now, I can catch you sleeping, but I can shout real loud and wake you up if I have to. You know, stomp my foot, clap my hand. I can catch your attention, but at home, you can scroll on past me, because you, you change a channel or whatever. Um, but um, so I mean I can just tell you know I can look at the video analytics and tell people only watch about five minutes of that hard sermon I put together, and so um, that's the thing. So here's the deal. Here's what's um, what's going to happen today. You know if I were if I were just trying to fill a time slot on Sunday mornings, I was just trying to give you a reason to come here and sit for thirty minutes. Then you know I'd probably want to try to I don't know move on and do something different. Uh, to keep your attention or, or um, entertain you a little bit longer. Um, but I'm not just trying to fill a time slot. Amen. Amen. And I'm certainly not trying to entertain anybody. The, the work is too hard, the labor is too long, and the cost is too great. Uh, I mean, the, the tears and the um, anguish that I have shed over these messages. And I don't mean just this one. The, 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 every Sunday, um, the labor is too long. The hours and the days and the weeks cumulatively that I have missed with my baby girls that I will never get back on this side of eternity. Amen. Amen. The cost is too great. So I, I'm not here to try to entertain anybody. We have... I have a job to do, and it's important to me that we're all on the same page. So what you're going to hear this morning is a retelling of the same thing that I preached last week online, because I whittled it down to try to get it down to like 15 minutes, you know. So I'm going to give you what I intended to preach last week had we not shut down. Is that okay? okay. All right. So if you hear it for the second time, it's a small token price to pay um, to get us all on the same page. So, anyway, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 28 today. I'm not trying to confuse you, but we're still examining that third tier of that statement that uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, uh, you know, um, oh, back in Matthew 16, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, that third tier. We're still examining that, and that's where chapter 28 comes in. Um, it's all falls under that umbrella of I will build my church. It was my intention last week to move on to the next part where he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but I felt that we need to tarry here just a bit longer. I, I will say this. If you did catch the online message last week, don't tune me out today because there's some extra stuff in here. So let's get right to it. Remember in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I'll build my church. And then here in 28, beginning in verse 18, we read, 
And Jesus came to them, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's given us, and then the book of Matthew closes. So he's given us some final instructions. And that's somewhat of a big deal, wouldn't you say? There's the last things that he says that Matthew records that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. We call this the Great Commission. It's our final charge from Jesus before the ascension. And this is our, our mission. And there's, there's three components that we're going to look at today. Our mission, our method, and our, our means. So Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations. That is the mission. Well, what does it mean to make disciples? What does that mean to make a disciple? What is a disciple? We have to ask ourselves that, right? Well, let's get back to basics. If Jesus said to go make disciples, well, what's a disciple? I got to build a widget. What's a widget? All right? What's a disciple? Anybody? Bueller? It's a follower of Jesus, right? Okay. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. In literal terms, it would be a student of Jesus. But what uh, Jesus is looking for here and what the text is asking for here is this, this master-follower relationship. So we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to go make a master-follower relationship, a follower of Jesus. That's what was displayed by the twelve throughout the ministry of Jesus as they were called disciples. He called them disciples. That's what they displayed. They called him master and teacher. They followed him where he went. So they sat at his feet and listened to him. They tried to emulate his behavior. They learned from him. So that's what we are tasked with doing is to make followers of Jesus. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples. He's saying, go and make more of yourselves. Go replicate what I did with you. Go replicate that. So there are two things we must know about this mission. It is both corporate meaning it is a mission for the church as a whole. The church has this mission. That's why it's important for the church as a body to be involved in missionary work outside of itself. You know, we, we need to be a sending church. We need to be supporting the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ outside of the, the body of our own congregation. In our congregation, you know, we, we really don't have much of a of a global reach, to be honest. And I mean, we're not partnered with global missions in, in this congregation. That's something that I am looking very intently at changing. Um, but uh, we do have a, a, a local reach, though, and I'm proud of that. Uh, we're, we're partnered with local missions. One of them that is uh, very near and dear to our hearts is the Paris Pregnancy Care Center. Uh, we, uh, part of the giving that you that you give. Uh, we, we use that to sow into the Pregnancy Care Center every month. And, uh, you know, that supports their efforts to save the unborn and to preach the gospel and Amen. deliver the gospel to uh, mothers who are desperate and scared. And, uh, and they have very real numbers and very real metrics they can show of the lives they've saved, Amen. both in the unborn uh, children lives that they've saved and the the mothers whose lives they've saved in terms of turning them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is real seed that we're sowing thanks to your 
your faithful giving into the kingdom of God. And so I'm, I'm you know, I don't, we're not going to hang our laurels on that, but that's, that's real missionary work that the church corporate is doing in, uh, in, in this context. And so that's a good thing. We're looking at doing more global missions. This, that's what we're called to do. Jesus said, go and make disciples where? Of all nations, right? So it's not just a local context. It's, a, it's an international context. There are all nations everywhere. So here's the thing. The corporate body, though, only has a corporate reach. So we sow into a corporate body. We, we're a corporate body. We have a corporate reach. Let's look at it this way. As a nation, you can set up a military base anywhere in the world, anywhere that you want, but you need soldiers in the field in order to secure the land. Amen. Right? You've got to have soldiers in the field to secure the land. That's why the mission isn't just for the church. And it isn't even primarily for the church. It's primarily meant for you. And me, right? I got, all right. It's meant for us as individuals. Yeah, the corporate body, uh, the church is the, we have this mission, but it's a, it's a supporting role to play. You, we, we are the soldiers in the field. We as the individuals, we're living out our daily lives. We're the ones that are carrying out this mission to go and make disciples. The problem is I think that far too many Christians have thrown off their Christ-given responsibility for personal disciple-making and we've handed it over to the church who was never supposed to be the disciple-maker. Right? We're disciple-builders, but not disciple-makers. We're disciple-trainers, disciple-maker-trainers. Right? That's my job is to train you to go make disciples. That's our job as a, as a church to equip the saints to go and make disciples. I'll talk about that later. Maybe not today. But it'll shock you what I have to say about that probably. I thought it would shock my wife. We had a conversation about it yesterday and I, I expected an argument over it. But I didn't get one. I thought I'm going to say something to her and she's going to be like, what? But she didn't. Uh, we were actually in agreement over it. But uh, what surprised me. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that's, that's an issue. You know, they'll bring their unsaved friends and just pass them off to the church. Let the church save them. Let the church, that's the church's job to do the outreach. It's the church's job to have the program. It's the church's job to do the, you know, they'll do the harvest festival. And the, I mean, and without any personal responsibility to go and actually build these relationships. And uh, I think that's, that's, not exactly, that's not at all what Christ had in mind when he said, go and make disciples. Can I just, just tell you something? This may, this may shock some of you. Um, this, this is what I was talking about with my wife yesterday. Uh, I'll speak more deeply about it later. But I don't, I don't think that the gathering of the saints, when we gather together for worship, is not primarily for evangelism. It's not meant to be an evangelistic outreach when we gather together. Um, and here's, here's what I mean by that. The purpose of our gathering is to equip those of you who uh, are already believers to go out into the world and to make disciples so that you can then bring them into the gathering to equip them to go out into the world to make more disciples so they can bring them into the gathering to equip them to go out into the world to make more and so on and so forth. And that's how the church is built. I just think that before you bring your atheist friend to church, you ought to have spent a whole lot of time with that person, you know, breaking down barriers and walking through the scripture with him and getting him to a place where he's ready to receive 
Otherwise, you bring someone to church that's never seen the inside of a church. You bring him to an environment like this. It's completely foreign. He doesn't know the first thing about it or how we do things. And, and it's like jumping into an ice cold bath. And what happens? You know, he might be like, you know, I mean, I was tracking with you about this whole grace thing. I was tracking with you about this Jesus thing, but I'm not so sure about church. Turn him off. Completely turn him off. That looks, just looks like weirdness now. <laughs> and you take so, and that's why it really frustrates me when they take news cameras inside of church services. Because the, to the outside world, that's what it looks like is weirdness. Because they have no context for it. It looks like weirdness. That's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't you know, I, I'll put the sermon online. I don't put the worship online. Because worship to the outside world looks like weirdness. Amen. They don't get it. They get, I mean, preaching is meant for the masses. Worship is meant for those who believe. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. All right. Amen. What I'm saying to you is that you, you as individuals, you cannot ignore your important part in the mission of making disciples. It's a very hands-on approach. It's not something that we can just throw off to the body corporate. You have a mission to make disciples, and the question is, are, are we doing it? Are we doing it? Because we all know people. There are people in our lives. And are we doing it? So if we believe heaven is real and hell is real, and those who know Christ are going to heaven and those who don't are going to hell, if we love like Jesus loved, like we're commanded to do, are we doing what he's asked us to do? Are we doing it? I want to show you in just a bit how strongly Jesus feels about this mission, but I want to step through the rest of the text here first. So Christ gives us this mission, right? This mission, go and make disciples, and then he gives us a method. So last week, um, I called it our means. <laughs> I'm going to switch the words up on you, though, to make it easier to understand or to remember. So this is the method. Um, our method, we see uh, in the following verse, in verse 19, he says... So after telling us to make disciples, he said, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's verse 19. So making disciples, that means that we're building strong followers of Jesus Christ. So how do we get there? Essentially, it requires two things. It requires that, that we uh, love, and it requires that we sacrifice, right? It is a person-to-person, me-to-you kind of investment. We have to build the kingdom of God, and that is a, a one-person thing at a time, one lost sheep at a time, Amen. loving God, loving others, and serving both. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that we so often, I think, tend to forget, is that everyone who is a lost sheep was, is a lost sheep. <laughs> Anyone before they become, come to Christ is, is lost before they are found. And that means that everyone is in some sort of a rough, unrefined, unregenerate state. They don't all come cleaned up and ready to go. Um, they come rough and broken and dirty and sinful, and they come with bad habits, and they come with destructive desires. They come broken to be mended and, and wounded to be healed and desperate to be rescued and empty to be filled, and they come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, just like you did. Amen. Amen. And, and I've seen it, 
And I'm sure you have seen it. And in the long history of this, this church, I've even seen it here. Amen. I've seen it in other places where they come in and they don't look quite right. They don't act quite right. You know, I've grown up in church my whole life, so I know exactly how we're supposed to act. I know exactly what we're supposed to say. And my heart can be as black as coal, but I know exactly how I'm supposed to act and what I'm supposed to say. And the person that walks in the door can look a fool and act a fool, but his heart has been genuinely changed because he acts different than what we all act like. He's rejected, but I'm accepted because I know how to behave. What I'm telling you, church, is that the scripture tells us that we cannot judge a man by his outward appearance, but, but we just believe God's the one that judges him by his heart, Amen. and we need to be very careful about this right here. Amen. Amen. Because they're going to come to us looking differently than what we expect them to. Yes. Very different. They're going to they're come to us smelling like sheep smell. Yes. <laughs> you ever been around sheep? They don't smell so good. They don't sound very good either. You, 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 mm. They don't sound good either. So what I'm saying is that, that there are people in our lives that we need to minister to and minister the gospel to. And we're often selective. When Jesus said, I'm going to get to this later, but I'm going to just put it in here right now. You have keys to the kingdom of heaven. That is very important for you to understand that. These are very important keys. What is that key? What is that key? Remember what he said to Peter. You are Peter, and upon this rock, what is the rock? The truth that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Right? And I will give you the keys. I'm going to build my church upon this rock. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom. That all ties together, church. What is that key? I am, the rock, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have keys to the kingdom of heaven. Here's the thing. God's going to put people in your life. You probably have people in your life. People that get under your skin. They don't look right. They don't smell right. They don't act right. People who disagree with you. People who have different political views than you. <laughs> and this is a very tough one I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there and y'all just chew on it for a bit because I, I still wrestle with this I don't, man this is a hard one how does the church minister to the LGBTQ community how do we reach them yeah absolutely absolutely Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm just saying, there are keys that we're holding. And we have to be very, very conscious that we're holding keys and how we treat people. Well, on one hand, saying Christ is the rock, Christ is the Savior, Christ is the Redeemer... Right? Christ calls us to holiness. Sin separates you. On the other hand, sin separates you from that holiness. And you have to seek a Savior. And you have to become righteous in Christ. I mean, you, you, you are changed. You, can't, you have to abandon a lifestyle of wickedness. And 
you know, I mean, there are two different, I'm, I'm saying that's, that's not an easy answer, right? Amen. Something that we have to wrestle with, but we as Christians need to wrestle with it. Amen? Here's the thing. God may have put people in your life that, that don't agree with you or that you don't agree with. God put people in your life that may have hurt you, that may have caused you some pain, right? Disciples are made through gospel-shaped relationships. And what is the gospel? Christ died for us while we were yet sinners so that we could have a relationship with him. So are you, are you burdened with anger towards somebody? Have you been hurt by someone and, and you can't imagine sharing the gospel with them? Is there someone that disagrees with you so much or that you disagree with so much that you just could not imagine sharing the gospel with this person or extending the hand of fellowship to this person or sharing communion with this person or welcoming them to the table? In Matthew 16, 19, this is where it is. Jesus said, I would give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So church, when, when, we, when we refuse to let anger and bitterness come into our hearts and we extend uh, forgiveness and things like that, and we pursue that gospel-shaped relationship, you're unlocking the doors of heaven for people who are standing outside of it. You're doing it one relationship at a time, one lost sheep at a time. Can I show you something that fascinates me? Do you mind? Can I just take you through the scripture really quick? Luke chapter 23. I always wondered about something. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? Of course you do. <laughs> remember there were two thieves that were crucified with him? And... and there was an amazing thing that happened for one of them, right? He is uh, redeemed at the last minute, this thief on the cross. You remember that? So this guy, he's held up as a story of hope for all of us. Uh, it's never too late to turn to Jesus. It's never too late. Remember the thief on the cross, I always wondered, what, what did it for that guy? What was it that, that turned this cold-hearted criminal to repentance in that last minute? And then, and then I saw it. Amen. And it was staring me right in the face. It's written right on the page. And I just want to take you through it and see if we can see it together. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Now skip down to verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we have received the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So I believe that there is a point on the cross at which this man's life was changed. This man's heart was changed. Remember I told you that disciples are made through gospel-shaped relationships. They are hands-on. They require personal investment. Sometimes and oftentimes they require sacrifice and forgiveness. It has to be gospel-shaped. It has to be gospel-shaped because we cannot change hearts, you and me. Only God can do that. What we do is point to the beauty and the brilliance and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And you might think it's strange, but that is exactly what Jesus did as they nailed him to the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He focused like a laser beam on his own beauty and brilliance and glory and majesty so that anyone who would believe in him might have everlasting life. There was one more chance for one more man, and Jesus took it. Do you see that? Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? You see, I think that in that moment, as they were nailing him to the cross, there were two men there. There's a reason that Matthew recorded it, or that Luke recorded it in the order that he did. Because they both saw him. And just like when they saw, the disciples saw Jesus calm the storm and said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This, this thief who was nailed to the cross beside Jesus thought in his heart, What manner of man is this that even though he is innocent, he forgives those who nail him to the tree? That is glory. Because you know when Paul wrote about the, the, uh, the Macedonians and he's talked to the Ephesians or to the Corinthians and he talked, he praised them and he talked about how they, they gleefully accepted the plundering of their own goods and how they, out of a, an abundance of poverty, they joyfully gave. And they accepted reviling and they accepted executions and they, they all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Gospel-shaped relationships. His last words on the cross. I've said it before. Jesus' death is not a model for us in how we could expect to die. Though there are countless many Christians who have died a martyr's death, horrible, horrible deaths, his death is a model for how we should live. And that moves me to our means. And I've got just a few minutes. We have our mission and our method. And back in Matthew 28, in verse 20, Jesus said, he gave us our means. He said, uh, verse 20, uh, he said, I am with you always. And last week I, I emphasized this by looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. 
draw your attention to that really quick. Uh, Paul says, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Very quickly, let me clear up some misconception about this verse. I think this verse gets misused and abused quite a lot in order to focus on some very truly selfish things, things that have absolutely no kingdom value whatsoever. Let me give you an example of what I think Paul means when he says um, uh, more than we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. You remember I told you in the Great Commission, Jesus asks us to go and do, to make disciples, to do what only he can do. That's a, that's a big ask, okay? It's a big deal, so consider this. I want you to think about the biggest, baddest, roughest, meanest guy you've ever considered, you've ever thought of. You know, tattoos and scars and maybe nose rings or whatever. Just biggest, baddest, meanest, roughest guy. Maybe a rap sheet about this long big motorcycle, whatever big, bad, mean, rough looks like for you, okay? And I want you to consider that guy down on his knees in front of the cross, tears streaming down his face, hands in the air, crying out to Jesus, giving his life over, confessing his sins, asking Jesus to be his Lord. Just laying it all out for him. And when he gets up, he's got a smile on his face. His tears are still streaming because they're tears of joy. And he's hugging people and he's laughing. And, and it's just the neatest thing you've ever seen. It's more than you could ever ask or imagine or think because you never thought that this guy of all guys would ever... You never imagined this guy, this big, bad, rough dude. You never thought you'd see a smile on his face, much less tears running down his... Or hugging people, come on. And it's more than you could ever ask or think. And I've seen it. I've seen it on walks to Emmaus. I imagine you could ask him and Adam. They've worked to prison ministry. I guarantee you they could tell you stories that you just, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, the things you could see. You know, Jesus said, that anyone who would save his own life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. Amen. So maybe this passage uh, isn't about, in Ephesians, this passage isn't about God doing abundantly more than we can ask or think. Maybe it's not about us. Right? Maybe it's more about, maybe it's not about us getting that, that job that we want or that car that we want or any number of a thousand other things that make our lives more comfortable. And that's one of the things that I, I would challenge you to think about. At the end of the day, if all of your prayers were answered, would you be more comfortable or would God be more glorified? So maybe that passage is not about us being more comfortable. Maybe that passage is about something much more precious and much more permanent. Maybe it's about bringing the dead back to life in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's about making disciples. Maybe it's about gospel-shaped relationships, making disciples in Jesus Christ. Doing more than, much more abundantly than we can have. What is more abundant than that? What is more unimaginable than that? Come on. If you've tuned me out so far, you need to perk your ears up here because I've got to do a bit of linguistic dancing. Back in Matthew chapter 28, go back to verse 19 really quick. 
There's one word here that transforms everything and makes it really come alive. I've got two minutes. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, Jesus said, go therefore. And anytime you see that word therefore, you've heard me say this before, you need to stop dead in your tracks and ask, what is it therefore? Okay? When you see the word therefore, you need to stop and ask, what is it therefore? Linguistically, that means in terms of the language, the word therefore, in this case, this is a conduit that connects the previous statement where Jesus says, all authority is mine, and it connects it with the word go, and, and with whatever comes after it, make disciples of all nations, baptize, teach, and I am with you always. So all of that authority is connected because of the word therefore to go, make disciples, baptize, teach, and I am with you. What it does is it gives those things effectiveness. It gives them power. It gives them uh, clarity. It gives them authority. Because it connects them to Jesus' declaration of all the authority that it has in the previous statement. That's what makes the, that gives us both the how and the why. Why? Because of Jesus having all authority. How? Because he has all authority. Why do we go and make disciples, baptize, teach? Because Jesus has all authority. How are we to make disciples, baptize, and teach? Because Jesus has all authority. And that ties into what's coming when he says, when he says it back in Matthew 16, the, the gates of hell won't prevail against you. Why? Because guess who's in charge, buddy? So when you go, you don't have to worry about where you go or how you go or what's coming against you because guess who's in charge, buddy? I don't guess y'all are as excited about that as I am. Look, there's, there's really one thing. I mean, that's all great, but there's one thing that I really want to impress upon you from, from that connection, okay? Jesus connected every... I mean, look, there's one very important implication for this for us. There's many, but there's one that I really want to impress upon you. Jesus feels so strongly about our individual mission, our, and I call this, this sermon our individual mandate, <laughs> the individual mandate, um, but, but so strongly about it, uh, about us going and making disciples, look, he puts all of his authority behind it. Amen. Do you see that? Amen. Amen. All of our, and why wouldn't he? He is the good shepherd. He came to seek and save the lost. He just made the righteous declaration that he, uh, that he is uh, the ruler and uh, the, 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 the majesty of all of heaven, all of earth. He is the ruler of all of that. He could have commanded anything. He could have declared anything. He could have established anything. He could have put anything into motion that he wanted. And he chose this. He chose his church. He chose to build one disciple at a time, making disciples. Do you see that? After saying, all authority is mine, he said, make disciples. That is miraculous. That is is stunning. The, The power that he just put on display, and then he said, make disciples. That's what I want you to do. First of all, the power that is involved in making disciples. 
That should tell you something about what is involved in making disciples. A power at work through you when you go and you preach Christ to the world. The power involved in making disciples at work in you when you just bring Christ into the conversation. When you let Him work through you in your relationships to, to change lives. All right, The power at work in you and the power that goes before you to make that happen. And that should tell you something about how much he cares and is involved in that statement. How much he wants you to do it. This is not some nonchalant thing. And we take it so nonchalantly. This is not something that we're just to throw on the back burner and just, okay, well, I'll do it when I do it. But no, we're to be actively involved in this. Do you see that? Okay. Conclusion. Are you ready for conclusion? Church? We have a mission. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Look, this was so precious to Jesus that he died demonstrating it. Demonstrating it on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the thief was converted. Okay? Boy, that's good stuff. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. We love you. And we thank you for your holy word. God, give us a holy boldness as we exit this place to, um, to be disciple makers, Lord. Help us, help us to identify those relationships that we need to work on. Help us to find the energy that we need, Lord, to pour into those people who desperately need you so much. Give us the compassion and the strength to see that they are lost and to share with them the riches that we have found in you. You have been so good to us, Lord. Help us to share it with the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.